is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we have Anthony Ronning and Chase Perkins, and we're talking about impervious.ai and bootstrapping that interwebs. Before that, a message from your friends at the Lightning Junkies podcast. We try to keep this podcast as bullshit-free as possible. We try to avoid advertisements and don't waste your time when we can help it. We'd ask that you consider supporting what we do. You'd support both Chaz and Cat in their Bitcoin Lightning journey. The easiest way to support us is by listening to us on Breeze Wallet or any of the other value-for-value apps at newpodcastapps.com. For other ways to support the podcast, please visit lightningjunkies.net forward slash support. There you will find the places to listen to the podcast as well as ways to support us with Bitcoin over the Lightning Network. Help keep this podcast ad-free and support us today. Now on with the rodeo. How are you guys all doing today? Hey, doing well. I'm great. Thanks for having us, Jess. Absolutely. I wanted to maybe start on a kind of lighter note here right off the top of the show. Anthony had a tweet earlier where he said um, he thinks all the different uh, tools out there, LNURL offers Bolt 12, are going to become an implementation nightmare. And he wonders that while he introduces yet another method or tool. <laughs> yeah, man, diving, diving right into that. Yeah, I I don't want to like lead on with controversy, um, but I I do think there's like, I guess to backtrack a little bit, like some of the problems with with Lightning itself is like it all revolves around like needing an invoice to pay someone. So we introduced things like KeySend, we introduced like LNURL, um, we're introducing like offers as a way to do it. I think there's like cool things on the app layer that we could have like always done to kind of like minimize the headaches or the user experience. And LNURL was like the first thing that really came out. And then we even got like Lightning Address, which is basically an email address kind of that you pay to and like it resolves the invoice. And I think it like ends up as being an LNURL as well. Without like leaking too much, we, we have some really cool things in, in the works that we're theorizing about kind of, you know, making it so that we could uh, have things like... Um, without relying on like a single node, like, so you can have like fallback nodes, you could pay, you could have, um, you could even like go on chain with like pay NIMS and things like that. Um, you know, you could do push payments like key send or amp. You could support both 11 and both 12 all in like a single protocol or mechanism. If you want to call it that, I don't want to like leak too much because we're still like in the works of it. And, and again, like, you know, if we were to introduce, uh, another mechanism like that, we would, not com- be competing with other tools. I think you said it best. We're like, we're not, you know, the more tools, the merrier, right? But, it, you know, um, it's on app developers to really, like, um, hone in on it and, and build on it. So, you know, stay tuned on, like, any any of that. I think there's, like, a really cool way we can, um, you know, better the Lightning experience and, and abstract a lot of things away from the user. And to expound on what Anthony just said a lot, and or I, I really like what he said a lot, and to expound on it a little bit, you know, in previous say, AI, we're, we think of ourselves as the application layer for Bitcoin uh, and the application layer for Lightning for the mission of creating a peer-to-peer cryptographically secure um, internet and the foundation and backbone for it and to enable um, tools and services so there's minimal touch points for data retention from third-party 
intermediaries or centralized servers and to stream as much as possible, uh, ultimately to empower uh, end-user individual control and discretion over data. So going back to Anthony's tweet, and, and he's doing such a good job where if we were in the same room, he'd probably look at me like, what can we talk about? So we'll hint at going to that mission. We've made, I think, pretty significant progress. Um, and there's some, obviously, tremendous stuff being built on Impervious that really goes back to the mission of using the entire tech stack uh, to empower the individual for the censorship and surveillance resistant uh, internet standard and to kind of address some of the, if not scalability issues, some of the, the practical issues uh, for broadcasting, sending and receiving information. Yeah, I guess I'll kind of pause there. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but before we get too far down the impervious.ai rabbit hole here, I wanted to take a, a step back and try to get more information about you two guys specifically here so the audience can, can kind of get a frame of reference. So um, maybe starting with uh, Chase here, do you want to share with the audience how you first got into Bitcoin and you know maybe the reasons why it, it drew you in? Yeah, sure. You know, it's an easy answer. Like in 2011, 2012, uh, I was Bitcoin mining and, and my apartment, I say relatively early, it was back when individuals could still benefit uh, running CPUs, then GPUs, and the transition to ASICs. And obviously, the appeal on data control um, and censorship resistance. So um, been around for a while, um, founded a machine learning for natural language processing startup called Thoughtly. Um, after law school, and it kind of led full circle back to where we are now, where we saw um, whether it's the events in Hong Kong, where there was um, basically complete information dominance over a population that allowed them both demoralization and susceptibility to control to some of the domestic issues on um, how our platforms and services control data and really the um, the use of raw force to influence uh, how people interact with each other, the internet and commerce. And, and so long story short, used uh, background and data privacy and machine learning and a few other things and, and, and Bitcoin. And we all kind of got together and we're working towards this mission. So that's, that's the, the quick version. All right. And how about you, Anthony? Yeah, I'd say um, my first main introduction into Bitcoin was 2017 and um, I was just like a gamer that had a computer with some GPUs in it. And so I was like, hmm, I wonder if this Bitcoin thing, I can still mine it. And it uh, turns out you couldn't at that time. And I just started like mining Ethereum and other shit coins uh, for a little bit of 2017. And then started looking into Bitcoin more and pretty much just became a Bitcoin maximalist towards the end of like 17 or beginning of 18, something like that. And and then I started getting jobs um, in the Bitcoin space. Started in 2018 with like a credentialing company, a Bitcoin credentialing company. Pretty much just anchoring credentials like MIT graduation records, stuff like that, onto the Bitcoin blockchain um, through like op returns and stuff. Um, then went to Bottle Pay last year to build out their Bitcoin and Lightning infrastructure. And then um, yeah, now now here with uh, with Chase and an awesome team building like the next new internet on Lightning, which is pretty cool. Awesome. So you kind of already answered my second question there of how you kind of got into Lightning. So um, maybe I'll kind of throw that one to Chase here. Um, so we kind of heard your kind of Bitcoin journey. How did the next step go? How did you get into Lightning here? Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. So 
I, I think ultimately, whether it's being a maximalist or I, I really think of Bitcoin as the values underlying it are, are really self-evident and, and have huge utility and practical um, applications. So, you know, the Lightning Network serving as the, the real-time liquidity, real-time transaction layer. Um, there's a lot more you could do with it. So we we had been working on, uh, and Mark Seitz, my CTO, um, the idea of basically using it for um, encrypted, uh, basically as a secure transport layer, as a config layer. So parties can send and receive information, sync, and then perform, establish out of band, secure, cryptographically secure communications channels. You know, as the team grew and, and Anthony's part of the core team, um, we realized there's just so much you can do. We really were going to have one or two initial APIs, like our dynamic VPN, and it turned into, gosh, we we launched at the time the hackathon was like 11 and like 15. Um, and it just turns out there's a lot you can do with the actual lightning layer. And um, so you had to answer your question for how I got into it was, I'd say Mark Stites was probably the greatest profitizer for me um, because I was always hardcore Bitcoin but realizing that we can really scale this up and use it for practical applications, which was a no-brainer for me, for censorship resistance and surveillance resistance, um, among other things. That's kind of explains how you guys kind of got your start into Lightning and into kind of Bitcoin there. Would you mind, Chase, kind of expounding a little bit? Like you kind of gave us the basic start of Impervious, but do you want to kind of keep on going and... Um, let us know a little bit more of the details of, you know, you, you met your CTO there and kind of got started. How did things go from there? It's funny. One of the first conversations I ever had with Mark was like, do you want to save the world from itself? And he was like, yes. And it's, you know, we, we start off, we're a very mission driven company. I know a lot of projects or companies say they are, but it's so funny. I think part of the reason we've been able to get to where we are is like that has always come first. And obviously, there's a, there's some pretty readily available um, technology that we can build on. So um, yeah, the foundation for Impervious is really the peer-to-peer application layer. And there's a whole lot of ways to address it. So we launched providing APIs for others to build their own applications and services. So essentially, uh, you can build from the ground up uh, a new application or service, or you can implement, incorporate us into existing services and from a modular perspective. And then we support some enterprise stuff and, and are building some proprietary tools. So um, we really want to demonstrate that uh, the Lightning-based uh, internet and the impervious internet in particular is a viable alternative to the existing infrastructure. Um, and I think we can talk about the hackathon later, but you know, in 72 hours, the red phone, I can't remember if you got third or fourth, but demonstrating, you know, an end-to-end, node-to-node, uh, serverless, uh, telephone, uh, you know, peer-to-peer, really, it, it's just like really rewarding to us seeing other people build on technology and they haven't been part of any of our internal discussions. So um, we're just, yeah, kind of over the moon. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I, I guess, like, I, I kind of wanted to build a picture here. So you were you were kind of talking about how impervious might end up being this kind of, you know, alternative way that uh, people might connect or otherwise send information. As I'm sure both of you are aware, you know, things like uh, OnlyFans and other such things where centralized companies have this kind of inordinate control over the 
content distribution of their customers and their users, what have you. Do you think that essentially is where, you know, Bitcoin and Lightning and Impervious come in? This question is for both of you. So real quick, and then I'll pass the baton to Anthony, is I think, yes, I think the whole point is payments and data are the same, right? With, with Lightning and uh, the way we use it, one of the ways is establishing that secure config. So two parties, it can be more than one, but they can peer-to-peer stream uh, like I say, cryptographically secured uh, data channels. And so when you're talking about some of these uh, services, really and talking about these other third parties, we're, we're ultimately talking about like discretion and control of data and these intermediaries and these choke points. And that's why, yeah, streaming video, peer-to-peer and audio, command and control. And then there's all these secondary benefits, like you were saying about the, you know, the internet. And I think um, instead of us just building every tool, it's like, the early SDK for building an iOS. If you want to build something with Xcode, you have to use a specific SDK. And we're like, hey, let's be the AstroTurf. Um, so people can enable their own command and control. Something we've seen that's really interesting is some parties are interested in building on us for trying censorship resistance and, and others really, there's, there's all these other benefits of, of peer-to-peer and not having these, these centralized intermediaries controlling uh, data and having discretion control as, as a bottleneck or choke point, which is like uh, enterprise really cares about fault tolerance. And, you know, you can use impervious and lightning to uh, basically terraform and, and create like a fault tolerant federated systems. And without these centralized choke points and repositories, peer to peer becomes very appealing, I think, to existing platforms, not to mention the honeypots and, and the centralized retention of data and all the vulnerabilities um, around it. Like, happy to touch on later, but like, what are the purposes of having centralized repositories of user data? Well, it's there to be mined, uh, harvested, uh, shared, marketed to, or it's just like a vulnerable honeypot that can be exploited. We're here to demonstrate like, ultimately, there is a viable alternative. It's not necessary to retain this data. And if it is for basically essential compliance purposes, or some core functionality, it's necessary to articulate that to the end user. And I think that's a pretty high burden and people should be aware of like, it's just not the cost of doing business. It's not the Faustian bargain. There should be minimal touch points and control of data and, you know, stream peer to peer whenever possible. I think the really cool thing about um, Bitcoin and, and Lightning as well is like, you know, Bitcoin solves the whole censorship resistant level on like receiving and sending payments, right? Lightning Network does the same in an instant way, like instant payments, uh, but it also adds this dynamic where we can like pass data around. So, you know, just for the audience a little bit, like when you send a Lightning payment, you can actually put some data inside of it. Reliably, I think about like 900 bytes of data, which isn't a lot, but if you think about it, it's enough. It's enough data to like really get things going. And and we were able to like even use uh, Lightning Atomic Multipath Payments, kind of extend that to like almost half half a megabyte. When you kind of think about sending uh, lightning payments for, to one another, but you can actually like pass data through it, what can you actually unlock by doing that? If you can stop a lightning payment, then it like stops becoming like censorship resistant. So I almost like kind of thinking about the lightning network as sort of like this big bounty test of like, you know, does this actually work? Can we actually use this? And I think over the last, you know, since like 2017 or so, so when we activated SegWit and could launch uh, the lightning network, it's actually like proven that like, Boom, we can like build this entire network of tens of thousands of peers 
and actually like pass payments around and like nobody is stopping this. Yeah, it could be a tiny little payment or it could be like people are sending like large, large one Bitcoin uh, level payments around. So like we can actually like start putting data inside of this. And I almost kind of like to think about Light Network as sort of incentivized um, Tor Network where like we're not relying on altruism and we're not relying on like NSA running all the Tor nodes and, and you know, trying to extract as much information as they can. Like these are actually like paying nodes. Like when you send like a data message or even a lightning payment to a single node, like you're paying everyone along that hop that helped to facilitate that. It's all like unencrypted, like no one can like break it. Yeah, it's just like really powerful stuff when you combine the aspects of censorship resistance that like Bitcoin provides and then like imagine passing data around as well. On one of our previous Lightning Fridays with Rusty Russell and uh, Stefan, I, I had you talk and kind of go over that little proof of concept that you had, Anthony, with AMP, I guess. I kind of understand, but it was it was basically you were sending an audio file over Lightning and it was in, I don't remember how many pieces, but an X amount of pieces. And at the end, it was that one guy saying, Bitcoin. I, I, f- I find that very fascinating, bringing up OnlyFans again, because I think it's that that's like the perfect um, case study to kind of analyze how the lightning stack or the whatever you want to call it might be useful one day to people in general. You kind of look at it and say, okay, fine. We can kind of give them the lightning network for payments. And then say, okay, maybe we could give them content delivery as well. Before we get kind of more into the meat and potatoes of that, do you want to explain your proof of concept with um, when you used AMP and kind of sent like all those little pieces and all that? Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, that was a very fun week. Um, we had just launched, you know, the the first part of our hackathon, so people were building on us and. Uh, I wanted to make sure that app developers can like not worry so much about like uh, hitting the limitations. So like when you send a lightning payment, there's pretty much a maximum amount of size of message you can send. And like if you don't actually send any data with that message, your node will just like fill it with like garbage junk. That way, like no one can like look at those messages and make inferences of it. Like every message will every message will be like onion encrypted and it'll all be the same size. It's all uniform. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all uniform. Even if you put a little bit of data, your node will like fill it in with garbage to the max message amount. What was really cool is I was like, okay, we're able to reliably send like 900 bytes. Um, what would be like the very max size that we can like send something through the Lightning Network? Uh, Lightning Labs, um, they implemented something called atomic multipath payments to Lightning. So like there's already multipath payments. And I think C Lightning supports it as well, where you split Let's say instead of like sending one whole payment worth of one Bitcoin, you split it up in 10 and you send 0.1 Bitcoin 10 times through like 10 different paths. It makes it actually more reliable because like you may not have a path that has a full Bitcoin worth of liquidity. So you split it up and it makes payments a lot more reliable. What's cool is that like each of those payments that you send, you can actually put data into each one of those payments. So like if there was like a 900 byte limit on a single payment, now you just like multiply that by like however many split payments you can have. And I was able to reliably split amongst like uh, I think the max that. So we ended up coming up with this feature in Impervious and like we released it so like people can start, um, you know, sending larger like data through the Lightning Network today. We put it out as a max of like 480 parts about. 
in that specific case, like I took an audio file, was, I don't I don't know, like it was like 200 kilobytes, something like that, and split it up amongst about 200 split payments. And then what ends up happening is that when you send that payment, uh, the other node, since it's atomic, the other node can't like redeem the payment until all of them get through. So once all of those payments get through, the other node like accepts the payment. It has all the information it needs to accept the payment, basically like reconstructs the pre-image uh, from all those payments. And then it, it can inspect each data, uh, each payment's data, and then like put it back together at the end. So it's actually like a really cool way to like split up files and split up data. It's just you split it apart and then you send it and it gets reconstructed back together. Yeah, it was, uh, it's a really cool concept. One problem is if you were just using like key send, let's say you wanted to send like a novel or something large through the Lightning Network and you're like individually sending individual key send messages, it may like come out of order. You may not like receive them all at once. Some may be redeemed, some may be like not redeemed. So like, are you missing like whole pieces of text? If you're sending, it's almost like when people were texting on T-Mobile, you know, 10 years ago and you would get a text and it would be large and it would come in like five different text messages all in a different order. And it was just a pain in the ass ever texting anyone on T-Mobile. It's kind of the same concept, but with AMP, they get it all at once and they can reconstruct all the data in that message at once. Um, it wasn't even really the true purpose of using AMP, but we looked at it and we're like, hey, we can actually like, scale up the amount of data we can send in a single lightning payment. It looks like a single lightning payment in the end when it gets reconstructed. Yeah, that reassembly is like really impressive. And then, you know, obviously all the implications for programmable information and all the data without straining or or congesting the network, which is cool because then you obviously each channel's uh, kind of limitation becomes like less of an issue and programmatic information can be sent and reconstructed. It was, it's just, it's really cool. And, and Anthony, I think he blew a lot of minds. It was great. I don't think we're going to get like anytime soon, like sending like gigabytes of movies and, and things like that through the Lightning Network. There are some clever ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But at least like being able to expand that limit so we can even like send more. There's, there's a lot of use cases where you need even like a few kilobytes worth of data that would have not otherwise been possible, just like he send. Really fast. I mean, I think just because I'm about to ask another question where this will be relevant, could you explain the concept of in-band and out-of-band when it comes to kind of using Impervious as a tool here? One of the cool things that Impervious is doing is being able to like allow almost, you can think about it like a standard way to like establish out-of-band communication. In this case, you know, you could consider we have part of our core APIs is like a VPN service. So um, you can like request a VPN from someone else. That would be in-band through the Lightning Network. Like you know of a node selling a VPN service. You like ask them, hey, give me your price for your VPN service. And in-band in the Lightning Network, it will respond back with like, here's my quote. Here's how much it's going to cost. You'll get like one hour of time. And that node can then like accept the quote in-band. Still, we're still in-band. We're still just sending Lightning messages back and forth. He goes ahead and sends the correct amount and actually sends the data as well, saying, I, I, I approve this quote. That VPN node will say, cool, he paid. Here's the message like saying he approves this quote. I'm going to send him in band still, uh, send him through the Lightning Network all the VPN information he needs to like, connect to the VPN. And I get that from his node through my Lightning Network. And then from there, I establish basically out of band communication that like, I can go ahead and connect to that VPN and boom, like if there's like files behind that VPN, because it is like a private network. Most people think of VPNs as like, okay, cool. I want to hide my IP address. 
because I want to watch Netflix in a different country. But it is an actual private network and you could have like websites behind it. I think one cool thing that Mark Stites did um, during the hackathon, he threw up like little bounties to kind of get people exploring different APIs. And he was like, hey, the first person to like pay my VPN and get access to like my VPN server, go to this website, like local host colon, you know, whatever. The first person to do that gets Satoshi's. It was like a website he created behind his virtual private network. It was basically a way to like redeem Satoshi's once you got access to it. We also do like socket to socket connections too. So like you can pay another node to like establish a socket to socket connection. And then from there, like you can start streaming movies. You can, you can do whatever you want with that socket you have with the peer. That was a really great overview, uh, Anthony. And it's just once you're out of band, you know, people tend to think of as peer to peer as one to one, but peer to peer is scalable. Chase to Anthony, chase to Anthony to Chaz, like you broadcast. And once you establish, like Anthony was saying, these private networks, it's raw internet. Now you can, it can be encrypted, it can be doubly encrypted. There's, there's a whole lot there, but you don't have the bandwidth capacities or the fee requirements that you would on band. Like instead of pushing a Netflix movie, atomizing it and, and reassembling it for like a million dollars on the other end, one humble Satoshi pinging back and forth can carry uh, config information. You can then establish this out of band. It sounds like a wormhole, right? And and then that channel, and you're going back to like OnlyFans or whatever video audio streaming platform you want. Like that cryptographic uh, tunnel doesn't care, you know, what's going through payments, video, audio, whatever, file transfer. So it creates a whole. And then obviously the end users can set the parameters for engagement. And that's why you're like, hey, it's a Satoshi a minute, 100 Satoshis per second, whatever you agree to. And then real-time, on-demand, pay-as-you-go, data streaming and broadcasting. And like the sky is the limit. It's really cool. A while ago, I had an Andreas Antonopoulos on the podcast, and I was just asking him kind of random questions. And around that time, a Sphinx chat was relatively new. And so I was asking about uh, messaging on the Lightning Network, basically transmitting data directly on the Lightning Network. He kind of complained about the idea that if pushed too far, we would get um, onions that were very, very large. He made a joke kind of making fun of um, BSV, basically calling them giga onions and saying, you know, we don't want to follow the BSV path, even on the Lightning Network kind of thing. Given what you guys already explained here, you know, obviously you could do something out of band, but like, is there, is there any advantage or, you know, is it just a novelty to do things in band, to just have things on the lightning network, you know, sending an audio file that says Bitcoin is pretty useless. I mean, obviously you didn't do it because the, the audio itself was practically useful, but just a, a proof of concept. But would there be times in your guys' eyes where in-band is going to be far more useful than out-of-band? And is there going to be an incentive to put more and more data um, on the Lightning Network in that way? What do you guys think? Like I said, each on your message, when you send a normal Lightning payment, it's the same size. So you're not actually adding more information when you send a lightning payments it's, it does like it doesn't even matter i would push back a little bit on that like there is onion limitations uh the other thing is you don't have to route these if you don't want to if you don't want to like pass messages along and collect fees um you don't have to collect fees so like these are like paying users that you want to shut off and that's that's fine there's far worse ways to pass messages along the lightning network for free that happens today and we're theorizing about more use cases where that happens unfortunately in the protocol layer 
that's just my personal bias there. But these are like paying messages. But to go back to like the censorship resistance, why you would want to use this, I mean, you could just even imagine the way I like to theorize it is we all have our pirating days, right? Where we're going on piratebay.org and like it gets always like shut down. The the clones pop up. You don't know which one's true. You don't like know which domain is like the current domain or the IP address being served. So like just imagine that there's this like single source of truth you can go to like find the information you want to find out. And then you switch to like the centralized way of it. You're probably like scouring through Reddit, trying to figure out what the latest Pirate Bay URL is. Like if we're all just typing in www.joerogan.com to get Joe Rogan content and all of a sudden that goes away, we're all like scrounging around. But if we were always going straight to the source of truth to find information and then we, you know, oh, it's joerogan.com. Cool. And then I type that in or, oh, look, it's joerogan2.com now. Like his previous domain got shut down. If we're always going to the source of truth, like nobody gets the platform. They just switch the platform they were on, but everyone's still communicating through the Lightning Network for like the single source of truth because the Lightning Network is the censorship resistance. So we can still fall back on general centralized web components, right? And and we should. Not every piece of data should go through the Lightning Network. But this is why it's important to like get that single source of truth of information in a censorship resistant way. And to build on that, there are two components. Operating uh, from broadcasting, send and receiving information from a denied access area from surveyed or hostile networks. So whether you're in Iran, whether you're in you know, Hong Kong, uh, these are just like practical today applications of a dynamic VPN using in-band to establish out-of-band or actually pushing data through in-band. And then the second thing is like Anthony was talking about, this like root base layer of reality and of information and going back to the original concept of individual control and discretion of data where we didn't build the internet the correct way. Um, and right now, if you think of Facebook, you think of Twitter or whatever, these walled gardens, part of the problem is they, they may have their own policies, maybe they have malintent or not, but it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, your information's within a walled garden and uh, we are working on, and I think we have addressed some very practical um, that you guys will be seeing in the next, I don't know, month or two, uh, I think barriers where if if you have this base source of information that can always broadcast out, then these third-party platforms that you use as tools are not the gatekeepers. They, they are not barriers to entry and they're not choke points. They're, they're really just mirrors for broadcasting information. And then, of course, there can be free market pressure on them to, to adopt this like base layer. But if you start from the ground up and broadcast out, there's some really interesting ways and, and really valuable in the long run of why you'd want to use Lightning and why you'd want to use Impervious to uh, establish a space layer of, of truth and veracity and an uncensorable uh, foundation for content that you can always broadcast, send, receive, and, and reference. And uh, yeah, there's, there's some more there. But What I'm hearing is Lightning Network is going to replace DNS. Is that what I'm hearing? I mean, if it does, <laughs> you know, there's no reason it can't. Part of what we're excited about is there are a lot of ways to stack it, right? It, it doesn't have to be, you know, lightning or no lightning. I think there's a lot of interoperability and you can take the best of both worlds, which we don't always like see in the community. But I think things can play a little bit nicer, which is why we're so excited about the APIs. We're like, integrate as you need. 
So there's there's fewer barriers to entry to like use Lightning or to kind of stream peer to peer. I think I want to go ahead and hit on these hackathon winners here to try to get some a little bit more real world examples going here. So the the grand prize winner of your guys's hackathon here was by John Cantrell. He's doing something called the world computer, obviously making fun of Ethereum. It kind of reminds me of something from like 2015. I'm I'm not sure if you guys remember 21.co before Coinbase bought it and before they named it Earn and before they pivoted away from ASICs and toasters, basically. The uh, computer that they released, the Bitcoin computer, was basically supposed to be this kind of microtransaction API thing. No one really used that. That didn't really go very far, you know. There was like two things written about it. And then suddenly there were earn.com doing paid surveys and get bidding Bitcoin for it. But it looks like this world computer thing might actually be something more along the lines of what they wanted back then, but just couldn't pull off by sticking a mining chip on top of a Raspberry Pi. So do you guys want to kind of briefly explain uh, the world computer a little bit better than I'm at this point? Sure. And at some point you should bring on uh, John. And that's a, you know, a, a pseudonym, John Cantrell. Uh, he's a character in one of my favorite Neil Simpson books, Cryptonomicon. But um, yeah, I think you're right that conceptually, you know, earn.com or 21.co like understood the trajectory, but the approach was a little different. And, and this is actually what John built is, we think is like a viable, like actionable, usable um, platform or service. And if we jump right to it, it's like fourth or fifth example, but this is the part that's so amazing. So the world computer is really think about like any incentivized programmable service, a way to monetize any uh, API endpoint, regardless of whether, you know, someone has a, a developer has a bank account or not. Just think of it as like incentivized um, application, incentivized um, services and any service. And an example he gave, which is I think really online with some of the things we we are interested in, on-demand uh, machine learning models. Instead of having these like enterprise licensing uh, for GPT-3 or like walled gardens, uh, you could actually query for, hey, does anyone have a request for something particular? Whether that's computer-generated content, whether that's uh, machine vision or NLP analysis, but you could actually on-demand pay-as-you-go machine learning whether it's analysis or output. And it's, it gets really interesting really quickly because um, I think the real world application is extraordinary and potentially transformative where it's a viable, useful use of on-demand on uh, machine learning. I think the incentives are right. And then it allows parties to... Um, they know there's demand for certain, say, computer-generated content to have serviceable models or platforms or services and then, of course, it, could, it can lead to some really interesting things and potentially AGI, where if the machines know there's an incentive to build a model, they can try to predict and they can build models that may be requested. Uh, and you have this whole incentivized, like Anthony was talking about, incentivized tour, but really incentivized internet and machines incentivized to build other machines but uh, and turn us all into great goo. But I really like the incentivized model and I like the approach that he took. Would you say that this is all part of the future AI's plan to manifest itself into reality by having humans build out these systems? 
Sure. If if there was ever, uh, let's say, an agenda or uh, some type of master plan, some maniacal thought process. But ultimately, I think the reality is if you could incentivize this, especially if, if humans receive the benefit from the machines uh, servicing humans or to build other services, I think it gets really interesting. But it also is, is practical where you can have a realistic understanding of like market demand. I think it's great. There's that concept that like Bitcoin is just keeping humans around to like do its proof of work <laughs> um, and to keep consensus going. So yeah, I can I can prescribe to that uh, that kind of thought. Awesome. I just wanted to put some uh, some levity in there just to keep things going here. The second place winner of the uh, hackathon there also looks kind of familiar. So as I'm sure you guys are aware, BitTorrent tried to add some incentives with their with their shitcoin. I'm not going to mention which one. Like it seems like a good idea if we kind of disconnect it from the shitcoin piece. Like it almost sounds like like a good idea. Like here, here's a good reason to actually keep yourself uh keep yourself seating, to keep your 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 torrents up and actually keep, you know, maybe less popular torrent seated because you know bob might come by and give you some money for uh downloading it or whatever but like it seems like this team um i don't know their names it's kind of hard to kind of piece out their names from their twitter handles but they created a thing called bitswarm which basically incentivizes uh torrents on bitcoin and lightning what do you guys think about this one before i hand it to anthony yeah i do want to give him a shout out i had a chance to meet them in person Ozzy, Asher, and Paul, uh, they did a, a really great job with this incentivized storage and retrieval component. And I think you nailed it, especially if we, we kind of tie it into some of our earlier points regarding this like root layer, base layer of authority and truth and information, like a primary source. It may not be popular to seed or to host, but you could always incentivize it. And so there are some really interesting ways to ensure the preservation of information and knowledge. You know, BitSwarm, and I know the team has some pretty big plans. This was a great proof of concept. They had two weeks, right? They had to like, there's a little bit of improv and think of an actual to actually productize it. But I think the larger trajectory is actually this incentivized, just like you said, storage, retrieval, and uh, especially the preservation of information. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, they just basically in two weeks came in and shit all over the years and years of uh, research and development that Filecoin has been doing, right? You don't need a token to do this. You don't need any like very complex like cryptographic algorithms or anything. Like we're literally just incentivizing hosting a file. And in this case, like it's incentivizing seeding a file, which is the same thing, right? I love that one just because of the fact that like it's so simple and you just add lightning to it and like you don't need this complex blockchain or you know file coin to do it right like you can do it with lightning definitely moving to the next one here looks like in third place we had goss which was a p2p gossip chat room um what do you guys think about this one i thought that was this one was pretty cool like it, it wasn't just the thing that they were focusing on the niche that they were coming in with was sort of like a dlc gossip chat room kind of thing where like you come in and you you share uh, the DLC, so discrete law contracts, you know, basically like betting on things or, or, or whatever. So like basically a network, see what other things are like, what other people are betting on. You can share your DLCs with each other. 
I'm sure they planned to, you know, they, they just had two weeks. I'm sure they planned on like expanding that out if they're going to continue working on it or like you can start betting directly in it with DLCs and stuff. I really like their approach too of it. Of like it's different. It was different than just gossiping through the Lightning Network because like that's just kind of like if you're sending arbitrary data that's not meant for Lightning nodes. Um, it's sort of like spam to everyone else. So like in this case, they were actually using sort of like a fan out approach of like passing messages to each other um, in a distributed quicker way by like, you know, one person, the author of the message would send it to two people. And then those two people in a group chat will send it to two other people. And then that just keeps going on until everyone has a chat. And it's easier than like one person sending one message to like, you know, every person in the chat group. And this is all like paid for through the Lightning Network. Like these are Lightning messages. So like, I thought it was a really cool and unique approach of like, doing paid-for gossip on the Lightning Network itself. And it was a cool use of uh, one of our APIs, yeah. I agree. And I think this also can align with, you can stack all this stuff and kind of like with World Computer or uh, you know BitSwarm, you could add a programmatic layer. I think you can incentivize a lot of things. You can add a lot of information. Ultimately, it's it's just like a cool use of one of the APIs to deliver an anonymous programmable information that's that's actionable. Do you happen to know who uh, made that uh, goss here? Nick Thiel. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure his his name was on the air there. Kind of hitting the one you already mentioned here and uh, someone that has already been on the podcast previously this guy is super prolific he makes a, a ton of stuff um on his uh website pseudo zach um made red phone do you guys want to kind of briefly explain what that is sure and real quick i'm not surprised that he's prolific you know he managed to build it like in 72 hours if that at all is a uh, a semblance of his other work it's yeah there's a lot in the tank there yeah, I think it's impressive. And um, sorry, I got a call. Go ahead. The basic idea about it is basically like phone calling another note. And maybe Chase over there got a call from <laughs> from his lightning notes. I actually got a call from from one of the other teams. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the the idea is basically like you can basically ring into another lightning note. So like say if you wanted like there was some guy on the network that you wanted to chat to because like he closed your channel and now you're angry with him or something you can like call them what i thought was really cool about this one is it, it actually like kind of prescribed to the same model that that we think of where like we're combining multiple internet stacks so i believe he, his red phone was even using like cloudflare just like mask the ip address of like computer that he was calling from and vice versa um, so it was like a cool use of combining multiple technologies, which I think like that's kind of like the model of what we're trying to do as well here at Impervious. Absolutely. And impressively, he even addressed still during the hackathon, some of our internal comments where this is really cool. But I guess, you know, theoretically, Cloudflare could still be a centralized choke point or point of failure. I mean, he was all over it. And he was even publishing like, here's the viable alternatives. That was just like a first pass. This is how you would implement it without Cloudflare while preserving privacy and identifying and connecting to a specific IP. Very cool work by Zach. And it looks like there are two other ones. And just for the sake of uh, time here, I'm just going to kind of briefly go over them. And you guys can kind of give me your comments if you have any. So it looks like fifth place was a Discord bot. 
a kind of command and control uh, via Discord chat, and then the sixth place P2P services on Bitcoin and Impervious and Lightning called Arcade City. Do you guys have any uh, comments on those two projects? Sure. Uh, just very briefly, you know, Discord bot was really demonstrating that you could have this like non-technical interface for command and control, especially of like federated systems or federated c- cloud systems. And I think that was just like a really cool proof of concept to demonstrate that like incorporating or implementing to other platforms or services, the ability to federate and control nodes and information from like a simple uh, UI and, and plain text is really cool. And then, and then Ar- Arcade City, a little bit I know about the guys that he had been working on Ethereum and had failed for a long time. So he was excited to find something that actually worked for peer-to-peer services. We're going to go ahead and move on from the, the hackathons there. Um, and so like the thing that I was kind of thinking about when your guys were kind of making the allusion to Lightning being uh, kind of D- DNS or the kind of source of truth there, it seems to me that like the future of social networks is going to be decentralized. I mean, that sounds almost like a cliche buzzword BS at this point. <laughs> Doesn't mean you're wrong. <laughs> right. I, I can't help but seeing it just be the future anyway. Like, even if it sounds kind of buzzwordy, even if, you know, we're going to be waiting X amount of years for it to actually come to fruition, we're going to have to wait for, you know, quote unquote, everyone else to kind of uh, join in on our fun over here. Do you guys want to like briefly kind of give me your picture of what a social media might look like in a Bitcoin slash lightning slash impervious future? I think it's a lot simpler than people make it out to be like, like it could be some like complex. I think all the pieces are there. It's just that you need to build it and people need to use it. And, and what it looks like is basically just us having control of our own data, wherever we want it to be. Um, whether that's like on own servers or like we're even like putting it on, you know, an AWS server ourselves or whatever it is. Our data is like controlled by us in our control and we distribute it out as, as we wish and people can like view all the public stuff. I think things like Twitter will just be front ends for accessing other people's data wherever their data is stored. Um, and yeah, like this is just kind of like, I think you're right. Like I think it just has to be this way. And and I know Twitter is theorizing about things with Blue Sky. It's been a few years since they even like talked about that, but I don't know what it'll end up looking like. I think it's inevitable that we like move back to like us like hosting and having our own data, especially with the internet being so widely available in the world. But yeah, we, we gotta get rid of the, like, these centralized players storing all of our data. They're honeypots, they will shut us down whenever they feel like it. Like we need to like be able to control it. I think that was well said. And ultimately the walled gardens, I don't think need to be viewed that way. And I also don't think that the lightning subnet, so to speak, has to be insular. Uh, We've made some real progress on making the best of both worlds and allowing parties to preserve the censorship component control of data and payments. And this is the part where I think Twitter at all is lacking. They may add lightning as a tip jar, but it's so much more. It can enable, obviously, the transmission uh, of, of information and data and then obviously programmable layers. So where I see the future is this like amalgamation of both this like forging and uh, we, I dare say, cracked or figured out the riddle. But I think we have like a viable solution to make the best of both and, and stack it in a way that's it's usable. So, I, you know, I, I know we're, we're hinting a lot 
we're just really, really excited because we want to preserve the use, the censorship resistant, the control, but we don't want it to be limited to just parties that are already on board and investing in Lightning. So you can align the internet in a way that's useful. And um, yeah, we're excited to, to kind of show it in the future. I think I want to close out the impervious uh, conversation here with asking what you guys think are the arguments against impervious. Obviously, you wouldn't have a company or be working at a company if you thought it was completely useless or completely broken or had no hope of, you know, overcoming these possible issues. But, you know, I think it's healthy to examine those issues anyway and make them clear. So maybe in the future they can be improved or fixed or what have you. Do you want to go ahead and uh, uh, start their chase? Sure. So besides heresy and lunacy, no, uh, I think the, the reality is to create this like peer to peer new internet standard, right? And combined with uh, like incentivized tour. But to have this application layer re- requires both messaging and the technical components. So it's important for parties to understand that, you know, we don't need the sectarian violence. It doesn't have to be like Highlander only, you know, at the end, there can only be one. I think we can continue to work towards this goal as a community. And part of the reason we released all the APIs is like, not only do we want to see other people build on impervious, but we we want to normalize building these systems via impervious and lightning and, uh, and peer-to-peer for streaming data transmissions. And um, normalizing is important. And I think, frankly, narrative is the big thing. You know, I kind of cringe every time I see Twitter, lightning tip jars, totally cool. It's a transformative-based technology. And I don't think putting it in the confines of people thinking, oh, it's just a tip jar. It's just a way to pay with magic internet money. I think that is actually like a little counterproductive. And it's important for people to understand it's so much more. It's transmission of information. It's it's data control. It's privacy, censorship resistance, and surveillance resistance. And, uh, you know, there's a narrative component and the adoption component. So, you know, we're going to prioritize building some of our own proprietary tools or services, or I should say, the ones we want to see, uh, we're prioritizing to come to fruition. And uh, in the meantime, we want to see, you know, we're the, we're the AstroTurf. We, we want to see 100 different applications, 1,000 different applications in the next year that are incorporating impervious in various ways. So, you know, there are plenty of psychological reasons and barriers to scale, but I don't think technically it's insurmountable. I think we just have to continue moving forward and not just like, uh, look inward and complain that we're not already there. And frankly, I, I'm stoked on our team, Anthony, uh, Mark Stites, Mark Clayton, and George. Uh, it's been phenomenal in our, our kind of orbit. And, and I know you were trying to, this was like a critical thinking question to, to examine inward, but I do think that the biggest barrier is parties understanding that we are making progress and we're on the trajectory and it's, it's not a blind future based on an abstraction. It's it's real and we can get there. So maybe the, the inward criticism sometimes that the community adopts towards itself, I think, is actually counterproductive because we're right at the cusp. I think we're at the precipice of something like truly amazing and and like usable. The way I kind of think about like where it could fail or like Chaz, you said it earlier, like it's it's inevitable that we kind of go eventually to the system that like everyone is in control of their data and they're not dependent on centralized platforms and Twitters and, and that for, for all their data behind the walled gardens. 
the question is like, what if society doesn't wake up in time? You know, what if like everyone just decides to keep going along? You know, the few are getting deplatformed, but who cares? It's just it's just the president of the United States getting platformed. Who cares? What if we don't wake up in time? And 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 almost like the same argument for Bitcoin. Like we all know Bitcoin's inevitable, but what if we don't get it like sooner than when we absolutely need it? Um, that's one thing. Like if, if people don't get in time, if people don't see the reason why and look around to see what's happening on these centralized platforms and and realize that like the problem is them and that there's a solution in front of their face if they would just apply a little bit of effort and hopefully we can make it where like it's it's as effortless as possible right but still like any network effect any like changing society it's not going to be the easiest thing it's not going to be the easiest thing like changing people's mindsets of how they view things that we've been doing for decades so i i don't know that that's that's my take on that you said it really well. Any arbitrary person or low-hanging fruit or example at extremists, people need to realize that these are policies that are all subjective and can be reversed. So instead of being self-congratulatory when any one party hits like a communications barrier, you should realize that that simply means we don't have the technical means for discretion control at the individual level. And that should be alarming. But I mean, we do, but that means that the way the internet is is developed. So it matters. Each example is is important and the technical means is en route. I would be a little bit remiss if I didn't ask Anthony about his privacy article that he wrote back in May. It doesn't feel like it was May. If it feels like it was like two weeks ago or something. You kind of wrote out a very good article showing the weaknesses, kind of doing the same thing that you just kind of did with Impervious, but you did the same thing on Lightning Network and tried to find all the holes on privacy, all the places that it failed. Um, earlier, you kind of said that it's like an, an incentivized tour. It obviously still has its flaws. It still has its, um, I'm not sure if exploits the right word, but some you know things approaching exploits on the network. I know it's a pretty big blog, but do you kind of want to briefly go over some of the highlights and some of the the biggest things you see missing from privacy on Lightning right now. Real good topic. Uh, one of the a big chunk of it revolved around was just UTXOs in general and UTXO management um, because Bitcoin doesn't have this privacy layer like at all. Um, you know, we do have to like be super concerned about UTXOs that we have and and what we're doing with those. That's why we we're supposed to like mix of them all. But then if you like, if you mix too many and then consolidate them, that's a problem. So because each Lightning channel relies on like locking up a UTXO basically um, with another peer, you are relying on like all the inputs that went into that. So if you got a UTXO a transaction from Coinbase and then like you turned around and opened a channel with somebody else. Say it was like a node that was doing something bad or something that was known to be doing something bad. Coinbase could look at that and be like, oh, um, you weren't supposed to like use Bitcoin that way. We're going to like cut you off or whatever. There's a lot of like UTXO privacy losses that was pretty relevant as well. And, and, and there's basic things like you need to be concerned about like if you're doing an IP based node instead of a Tor based node. Like, you're ba- like if you have a home node and you're doing IP, luckily like Umbral and Raspberry Blitz. I think most of them just use Tor only, but you got to be concerned. Like if you're if you're doing it yourself and like you're doing IP address, like people can basically see your IP address if you're doing that. Other things like that. Like I think a pretty alarming one that I found out when I was writing this, so I didn't even know it at the time. But private channels aren't really private. Um, 
because you do lock up a UTXO in a channel, that's the same is still true for private channels. You and your other party don't broadcast that to the whole gossip network. So nobody knows it exists unless if you give an invoice to somebody and you include the routing hints, you basically tell them the UTXOs that are locked up in that channel. Not only that, but you can also, you can actually probe to see if a particular UTXO is locked up in a channel between two peers. If I suspect you have a certain UTXO locked up with a certain peer, I could probe either of you to try to figure out if that exists. And I will get like a certain error message back if it does. And that's what I'm looking for. Like the existence of like, oh, it didn't match the base fee or like, oh, like this channel exists, but like it, uh, the timeout was too short or something like that. The idea is that like th- these private channels aren't as private as, as people think they are. In fact, they're just not private. They're just, they should just be called unannounced channels. So I think besides like that and besides just the fact that like we need to be super careful with like how we manage UTXOs, even like closing out channels and then like using that again into another channel as it's like cautions you should do. I'm trying to think of like other things that I talked about on there, but I'm happy to like dive into it more. Or what are your thoughts on that, that Chaz? I think that's a good overview. Like I don't think we have enough time to really get into the the meat of everything because I think that'd probably take more like 20, 30 minutes. Without really going into everything, what do you what are you hopeful about as far as lightning privacy goes? I believe you said in here in the article, maybe you said it elsewhere, that uh, point time lock contracts are going to be a huge piece of the future of lightning privacy. So with PTLCs instead of HTLCs, um, what you get is like each one problem with HTLCs is if you are sending a payment along the network and you know that um, it basically has a certain hash to that to that payment and you can pretty much like follow it along the, the network. And so like if you wanted to, you could coordinate with other peers to figure out you can correlate the payment going through. Or like if you're if you have multiple nodes, you can kind of see that pop up again on another node so you know kind of the route it took. PTLCs like it looks like a different payment every time it does a single hop. You can't do as much correlation. There's still like a little bit of coordination. I think there was like a good email. I forgot who made it today where you can still kind of do some inferences. For the most part, like it's a different like payment hash or it looks like a different payment hash, something along the line. So like you can't do that correlation. On that same topic of like other things I'm excited for, um, route blinding specifically. I would have to like read up on the spec again and like figure out a way to verbalize it. But basically, you you hide where it's actually going to. And that, that's the whole purpose. So like you basically blind the route, as, as the name implies. Um, it was sort of like Rendezvous. I know a lot of people like know Rendezvous more because that was sort of the thing that was like pitched as the solution to receiver privacy. Route blinding is basically the upgrade to that. What's cool is that C Lightning has talked about wanting to use it for their offers, uh, their Bolt 12 offers protocol which I think is pretty cool. And and something that I would be interested in using in a purview too, where like you could send a message to another node and that node doesn't even really need to know where it came from in order to reply back. You can include route blinding information as data inside that payment with whatever data you wanted to send as well. Basically saying, okay, I'm going to send you this data. I'm going to send you a blinded route um, so you can reply back to me, but you have no idea who I am and I think that's that's a really cool concept. Basically helps with the receiver privacy thing. Fantastic. I'm going to go ahead and make sure that um, everyone is linked to this uh, blog post in the show notes so they can read the entire thing and kind of take in 
um, all the information you put here, it's it's quite a bit and it's all pretty dense. So I do advise anyone that hasn't already read it to go ahead and do that. Once again, it's in the show notes. And also I'll be putting all the hackathon winners and all that information in the show notes. You don't have to go Googling for all this, all this information. Last thing on the show here, I'm just curious about what you guys think is the future of the Lightning Network, just to close us out here. Yeah, I think it's a convergence of the regular internet and applications and services and third parties with this base layer of, of information, this foundation of truth, the censorship-resistant component. And I think it is a great enabler for individuals to realize this is not the cost of doing business to participate in modern society. And it's going to grow from there. And I think it will integrate with existing services, like I said, and scale accordingly. I think a lot of that, um, like if you just think about distributed computing, you think about censorship-resistant data exchange networks, I, th- I think we're like the future of, of Lightning or a future of Lightning, not only it being like this instant payment network, but you can actually build Lightning native applications even just build pure Lightning-based applications, like just sending messages from one node to another, like kind of like the Sphinx model, right? But way more than just messages, like actual data, actual data transfer protocols. Like, yeah, I, I think it's something that could be really built upon for applications to do like distributed or decentralized computing in, in various ways. So yeah, just way more than just a, a payment network. All right, guys, fantastic. Um, we're going to go ahead and be closing out the show here. Do you want to let the listeners know how they can find you on the uh, interwebs here on Twitter and all that? Sure. You can find Impervious at Impervious.ai. Our Twitter handle is ImperviousAI. And then Chase Perkins is Chase at Chase the Truth. To you, Anthony. Yeah. So you pretty much find me on Twitter, um, CyCryptor uh, on there, C-Y-C-R-Y-P-T-R. That's basically where I spend all day, every day. <laughs> When he's not building the new internet, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I want to go ahead and thank both you guys for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Chess. Thanks, Chess. Boom. That was the 50th episode of the Latin and Junkies podcast. Through the darkness of future past, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Fire, walk with me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I believe that there was a great deal to learn within this episode. A witnessing of the future of Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. The electricity felt in this episode is downright palpable. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you took something away from it. I hope you feel the need to support this podcast. You can do so by listening to us on Breeze Wallet or any of the other wallets or apps you can find on newpodcastapps.com. We have some amazing announcements coming soon for the future of Lightning Junkies that will ensure our longevity. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes, and dark within.
I'll see you on the Lightning Network.